Wellbeing Creative Podcast is fueled by my good friends at Great Lakes Coffee Roasting Co. Celebrating their 25th year anniversary, Great Lakes Coffee believes that coffee is no longer a commodity. It defines a community. It tells their story, local, global, and everywhere in between. Sourcing direct from farmers, roasting here in Detroit, and always handcrafted, this is coffee as it's meant to be. So, whether you're sipping from your favorite mug at home or savoring the last drop at one of their three shops or countless coffee bars, know that you're part of the story. Because at the Great Lakes Coffee Roasting Company, it's not just about what you're drinking, it's about the journey to your cup and where we'll go from there. Wellbeing creative listeners can get their caffeine fixed by using code WELLBEING for 10% off your first order at greatlakescoffee.com. Again, that's promo code WELLBEING for 10% off your first order at greatlakescoffee.com. I, th- I think we'd really f- fuck up the world if we had unlimited time. There'd be no value to life. I, I think uh, it's the act of passing through from a, the beginning to the end that is living. You're listening to Wellbeing Creative, a podcast that breaks down stigmas and creates a conversation surrounding well-being in the creative fields. My name is Harrison Diskin, and I'll be sitting down with creators of all types to discuss how they manage the inevitable stress, anxiety, and health choices that come along with creating in today's wild world. Hey, this is Harrison. My guest today is Joe Hurtler from Joe Hurtler and the Rainbow Seekers. This episode is very special to me as I finally get to sit down with Joe and pick his brain on everything from his creative process to philosophy and even his dabbling as a children's book author. Joe's insight is very useful for not just artists, but everyone under the sun. So let's get right into it for episode five of Wellbeing Creative with Joe Hurtler. Hey, it's Harrison, and my guest today is a very unique individual. Joe Hurtler is the frontman for his band, Joe Hurtler and the Rainbow Seekers, but he's so much more than that. A creative mind who infects everyone in his path with positivity, Joe is a staple to the indie band scene where he has been growing his name and developing his sound for the better part of the last 10 years. A writer, teacher, and overall an outstanding artist, I'm very excited to welcome Joe Hurtler to Wellbeing Creative. Joe, welcome to the show. I'm happy we could finally make this happen. Hell yeah, dude. Thank you for having me, Harrison. I was, I was saying earlier, right when I got here, we... Uh, there was some scheduling issues with this. I canceled on you. You canceled on me. Shit happened. I think in any other situation, um, you know, I probably would have been like, maybe it just wasn't meant to be. We're both busy. And uh, but I was like, no, Harrison's a badass. I haven't really had like a thorough chance to like hang with you. We've known each other for a really long time. But yeah. usually when I see you guys and your crew, it's at a party, mm-hmm. like in a party atmosphere, and it's not just, you know how it is at yeah. parties. You don't, you don't really get to, like, a chance to, like, actually, like, talk and, and hang out with people. So I'm stoked to, to be here with you today, man. Yeah, that's Thank definitely you. part of my selfish reasons for starting the podcast. Hell I yeah, just want to get some one-on-one time with my friends. Dude, solid hangs are important. Yeah. They really are. Totally. So let's get right into this. Um, you're a Michigan man. You grew up in the suburbs here of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I grew up in Lake Orion. Uh, most of my family's like originated from from Detroit my great-grandma came here um I'm Lebanese so like any good Arabs they all seem to just kind of live right around metro Detroit Mm -hmm. um and yeah I I currently live in Lansing okay so have you always done music uh yeah yeah I kind of got into it reluctantly at a a pretty young age I played bass and cello Mm -hmm. um started with violin 
and uh, was pretty serious about it um, to the level where I wanted to go to school and, and study music. And I went to, got into CMU and, uh, with the intention of becoming a bass player. And uh, I think at that point I was, I was really burned out of like the musical path. Mm-hmm. Not that my parents like pushed me really hard. I just like didn't really like it as much as I thought I did, especially once I got to college. I tried out, I got in like the mid-level orchestra or whatever, and uh, within like a couple weeks I bailed on it and um, just kind of ended up farting around until I settled on trying to become a teacher, which mm-hmm. also is like probably not the best idea in the long run. I, I kind of liked the romanticized idea of being a teacher. I had a lot of family members that were teachers, but uh, in the end I don't think it was like really the right choice. Um, but yeah, somehow, uh, one of the great miracles in my life, I, I made it through college and ended up with a teaching certificate and, and worked in education for a while, more in the curriculum development side. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, you've been full-time in music for a while now. So what's, what kind of went into going from the, uh, you know, performing arts and orchestra stuff to being in a band? Um, it started... At CMU, I think I was a sophomore, so I had quit. I was like done with music at that point. Um, I had a bunch of my parents paid for half of my school, so in my mind, I'm like, oh, this is a good excuse to maybe enroll into some other courses that I found interesting. So I, I got into like took a pretty much a year's worth of like philosophy, poetry, and theology courses, and kind of at that same time. I was starting to miss music, which I had abandoned, um, and I had some leftover money from graduation, so I bought it like a cheap acoustic guitar. I was in a communications class, and there was this pretty attractive girl um, who was friendly with me, and uh, she ran an open mic at like this little coffee shop in town. It's and, like Kaya uh, Coffee. Yeah, Kaya Coffee, nice. and uh, that's really where it started. Um, she kind of convinced me to, to come out there and, and through that little coffee shop, which my friends who used to own it are you know, still great friends to this day, but it just kind of connected me with the, the small arts community that was, that was present in Mount Pleasant at the time. And uh, it kind of gave me a, a place to start performing songs. And at that point, it was like almost like a reason. I guess I, I fell in love with, I realized that I could, I could share something with this. I've never been like the best talker. Uh, never been the best orator of, of my feelings, I guess. But uh, through music, I've always been able to kind of like communicate something else. And uh, I realized during that that point, like this could be a communicative tool from for me. And mm-hmm. it was something that I did really just solely for me. And I had a stage to kind of try out these songs. And I did that for a long time. And uh, I met my guitar player there, Ryan, who's my guitar player to this day. And... Um, so for a while, you were just Joe Hurtler. Yeah, yeah, it was just me. I was actually DJing a lot at the time, and mm-hmm. that's where I first kind of ran into you guys. Right. I had a radio show and was just always into dance music. I ran, like, a little rave cave in the, out of the basement of my house, and that's really, really where I fell in love with electronic dance music and kind of somehow I'm sure how, like, I ended up meeting you guys. But uh, I don't know. I'm not sure what happened next. Yeah, I guess we formed we formed the band like I want to say my senior year it was in it was on New Year's Eve. Um, I think of like 2012 or maybe going into 2013. Um, and some of the dudes that were uh, going to be in my band were in another band at the time, mm-hmm. and um, happened to be on this festival that I was booked for with uh, my guitar player at the time, Ryan. And uh, yeah, we just hung out for like a couple days at this festival. 
And I think we sort of realized like, oh, we like each other. We're all friends. And mm-hmm. in the hotel, they actually kind of like put some music to to some of my solo songs and it became like our first performance. I think six months after that is when actually like we became a band and, and had a name. Cool. What's the dynamic of the band now? I mean, like, do you, do you all contribute to writing or is it, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's always been, it's always been a very dem- democratic thing. I've, I've kind of wanted that um, from the get-go. Uh, in the beginning, it was really just kind of me writing songs on acoustic guitar and then the band would sort of translate that and, and turn it into the full Rainbow Seeker thing. Um, now as I've, I've gotten better at production and uh, I've kind of reconnected with a lot of the instruments that I, I played in the past. And so I'll demo everything in full and um, I'll mm-hmm. bring it to the band. And it's never like, you guys have to play these parts. Um, it's a great compliment to me when they like actually like pick something that, you know, choose, choose a part of the composition and it makes it into the original song. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of times, you know, the stuff that I write doesn't get used. And I, I, I think we all really just kind of trust each other and uh, in the roles that we have to, to make the best decisions uh, for each song. And that process is like, it's honestly kind of been this, something I've always held sacred. I kind of love seeing the seed that I, I give them, whether it's like a fully produced demo or just an acoustic track and, and seeing where they'll take it. And, uh, you know, if someone really, really believes that something needs to be a certain way, we tend to go with it. But mm-hmm. for the most part, it's always been sort of this democratic thing. Like, here's the idea. Let's collectively try to turn it into something that's the rainbow seekers. Mm-hmm. Is there anything like practice or habit wise that goes into making it so sacred? I spend all day working on music. I mean, just like being in my I have a little studio in Lansing, which is just like honestly my favorite place in the entire world and uh just kind of being in there there there's just there's something sacred about it um, an energy yeah there's just a nice energy i'm really comfortable in there mm-hmm. i can spend all day in there and not get like super tired of it um you know my my production machine happens to be a, a sick gaming rig too so if i feel like playing veering off and playing some video games you know i can do that but uh yeah it's just always been this like safe cozy environment i'm a bit of a nester like mm-hmm. whatever my environment is that I live in, I, I tend to just kind of decorate it in a way that I find appealing. And, uh, yeah, I, I just, I just love it in there. How does it work? Um, being a nester traveling so much, touring so much. It's hard. I mean, we, we have a, we have a sprinter and it, it's got, it's got like the captain seats in there. We have enough stuff that just kind of fills up the interior anyways. So mm-hmm. you're just constantly like surrounded by, by our various pieces of refuse and clothes and probably like rotting food and i don't know it's not the most comfortable thing but uh we make it work yeah yeah i mean we'll get back into touring questions a little bit but um <clears throat> you know we're talking a lot about your music if there was someone in this room right now mm-hmm. that like couldn't that that has never heard joe hurtler and the rainbow seekers how would you describe your music we're definitely a multi-genre band at yeah. this point i don't know how it's turned out that way and there's always been I think at least early on, like some pressure to like kind of fit a certain mold. But uh, I think more than ever, we feel comfortable kind of being ourselves at this point. But um, there's sort of this like funk pop side of it um, with like a singer songwriter folky foundation. But at the same time, we like hang in the jam scene. Like the shows are very live, and that's where that's where kind of the the whole project I, I think is 
is realized. And, uh, you know, we've been working to change that so it feels more realized on records, of course. But, um, you know, we're a live band and we've been doing it for a while. And I, I think one of the things that's always been in the, the forefront of like, what's this all mean is, is just to bring people together. Uh, music is, I think, serves a special function in society. It was like giving a, giving a good reason for people to, to come together and hang out. And um, I don't necessarily know how that like, I guess it's just like the philosophy behind the band mm -hmm. that it comes down to. And it's something that we've all begun to recognize over the it's years. It's a physical thing too. I mean, I've, I've been to your shows and they're, they're pretty big spectaculars, you know, like a lot of uh, quirky, different uh, production aspects go into a, a Rainbow Seekers show, I feel. You know. Yeah, we. I think there's a lot of like personalities within the band. Yeah, and it, it kind of manifests itself into this very like colorful, celebratory experience. Yeah. How how important is that for you that the Rainbow Seekers have that personality? A lot, and I I've always wanted it, um, and I, it wasn't something that was like intentional, like from the get go. Like I wanted band members with distinct personalities, but I think those personalities were inherently there. And again, it just sort of became that, and it was something that later on we recognized was was really important to like what this band is. And uh, it's kind of nice for me too, because like if someone maybe isn't connecting with like what I'm doing on stage, there's like a half naked dude with a saxophone wearing like a deerskin outfit, and maybe they're super into half naked dudes wearing deerskin. Like mm -hmm. you know, there's just there's <laughs> there's a bunch of different personalities on stage for for people to connect with. And uh, we'll literally have, like, people who come to shows and they specifically go in, like, the keyboard area or they go in the saxophone area. Like, they'll come to shows for reasons other than just, like, the, you know, Joe Hurtler. There's right. a whole, you know, and we're a band. We're a band at the end of the day, and that's a special thing. Yeah, and how do you think that's, like, contributed to your fan base? Relating your unique personalities to the fan base mm -hmm. and maybe how the fan base connects with, with the band. Yeah. I, as I said, I, I think it, it just gives them different avenues to connect with the band. Like there's just, there's just a bunch of stuff going on within it that people can kind of grab onto. And I, and I, I believe maybe it makes it interesting and, and that's why people seem to keep coming back to our shows. Mm -hmm. What's been your favorite project with the band? Favorite project in the band Gosh, I don't know. They're they're all so different. It's I I, I almost want to say like the first record we recorded and we recorded it in just like the nastiest, dankest Michigan basement of all time. It was in Lansing. Do you know where El Oasis is? Mm -hmm. in East, or in, it's in Lansing, but it was uh, directly next to that, and it's where um, our former bassist and longtime producer Kevin lived. And that's really where the band kind of came together. And just in its infancy, it was like, we were all just so like ignorant of like the bigger picture and we we're just having a ton of fun together as friends. And there was all these like interesting characters coming through the household. And, uh, you know, we recorded that, we recorded that record in just the nastiest basement of all time. Like you don't want to go down into this basement with like extremely minimal recording gear. There's a guy named TJ Duckett who's was one of our like Rainbow Seeker Godfathers. He he played uh football. Played for the, yeah, he was a football player. Yeah, he, he kind of mentored. Really cool chains, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He kind of yeah. mentored us in the beginning, and we made we made some hip hop beats for his nephew Dante, who was a local rapper. And uh, in return, he he just bought us some like basic recording equipment, and really became like a lifelong friend, um, yeah, and a lifelong mentor to a, a lot of us in the band. 
Um, so it was just this really like interesting atmosphere with all these people who were helping out pitching in. There was still a lot of people who were like in college or hanging around Lansing after college who just wanted to help out. And it was just so innocent and there was no expectation of anything. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of bands will say, you know, their, their, their first record that got them started was just like a really fun experience. I bet a lot of bands can look back uh, similarly similarly to how you are and see that like ignorance and, and like kind of wish that they may still have a little bit of that. Yeah, absolutely. There's there's a special kind of like magic that went into that. And that, that record is so much different from from our our other records. And but, you know, looking back at all the records, um, you know, they've all been challenging, but all seem to kind of wrap up in a way that we're, we're really proud of. And I can think of pretty distinct moments in, in and recording each of those projects that well let's talk more about some of the distinct moments and like what what's been something uh since the initial formation of the band what's been like uh one of the biggest hurdles or challenges to overcome the biggest challenges i mean for me personally um lineup changes losing Mm. losing members of the band especially that like core group of five guys you know and, and every band goes through it um you know, losing losing our drum, our longtime drummer Ricky um, was probably like the most difficult thing I've ever dealt with. What did he band. go to do? He's a clockmaker. He's a genius, and he's one of like I probably know like two geniuses in my life, and Ricky is is one of them. And um, you know, I I just love him as a friend and mm-hmm. always have. And uh, he out of nowhere started making these clocks he's always been like the engineering type um and they're these beautiful clocks and uh, he struggled for years to kind of get them going because he was selling them for a lot of money i think Mm -hmm. even when he was starting out he was trying to get like five grand for them and i'm thinking he probably lost money on some of those early sales just selling them to friends and family but um yeah things change and all of a sudden after probably like four or five years of of spending tens you know thousands and thousands of hours on building these clocks like it really started to take off for him mm-hmm. and uh, like i said had i known what was in store for him i i would have been like all right dude you need to you need to go do this that's not to say it was really difficult yeah losing him just his presence in the band and obviously he's like i really think he's, he's one of the best drummers in michigan like the best drummer i've ever played with and uh yeah, it's, you know, just trying to find someone who can fill that role and relearning all the songs and then just like mourning the loss of someone you've spent so much time with. It's it can be really, really difficult. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the, the things this band has survived is is kind of incredible. And I, I think it's a testament to like the, the old friendship that we, we have. Um, you think that's what keeps you going? I, th- I think it's a big part of it. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Especially within like the core membership. We've just been doing this for a long time. And, um, you know, we're, we're, it's not even a friendship really at this point. It kind of becomes this like weird family type thing. You know, it's like almost like a, a family dynamic. Um, yeah. And it's funny since like Ricky left, he like went back to like the friendship zone, which is to, was really kind of nice because when you talk differently with your family members you yeah know, there's like there's a whole different dynamic when you're hanging out at like a family party or whatever or just like people who you're working with every day all of a sudden when that like that tension of him struggling to balance um his clocks yeah and going on tour and stuff all of a sudden when that lifted it was like oh shit we're like 
old fucking friends. Like, yeah. hell yeah, dude. Yeah. So I think we were all worried, like, oh, God, if he leaves the band, we're not going to be buddies anymore. But that, that just it wasn't the case at all. Yeah. So that, that was the most challenging thing I've ever dealt with in this band. And uh, that's just how it goes, you know? I think it, it does makes you stronger. Right. I mean, with, with the different, you know, uh, the band members and, you know, you, you refer to them like a family. Um, what are some of the communication qualities that you think are important for the band's success? Communication qualities for the band's success. It's so weird because we communicate on like just this almost nonsensical level. Obviously, like when you're on stage together, there's there's this there's this sort of communicative bind you know you don't really need to save words a lot of just like glances and gestures and most of all just like the feeling of of performing these songs on stage if it's like an off show or something like nothing needs to be said mm-hmm. like we all feel you it catch the eyes. it's very rare that someone's like damn dude that set was sick and we're all like no yeah no, it's, yeah it's we're we're on the same page like what about much more all the like time. uh more like personal differences you know after oh, like 10 days straight in, in, in the sprinter van together we don't are, we don't really fight or anything hmm. i think we are pretty good at entertaining each other i think sometimes just the stresses the stresses of it all will kind of bear down on people you know every now and then you'll just see someone get quiet and i think you know we've all gotten good at like when we need to take space for ourselves i think we're good at identifying that and and just kind of doing what we need to do to kind of get through those like those tougher periods on tour because when you're gone 250 days of the year like mm-hmm. stuff comes up regular life stuff comes up and you're not at home to deal with it and it's just it's just tough you know yeah. but um and you know i think we're, we're pretty open with each other too just if something's bothering us we when you're in the van all day <laughs> like you tend to talk about it with each other so i don't know how many other you know i, I feel like that would be something that has to be you know pretty common with successful bands but i also think that it's probably something that's a little bit more rare yeah you know it's it's weird on tour i I think a lot of people deal with this but just the ups and downs of tour you know there's kind of this like i've at least identified it as like this dopagenic response to performing you know you're kind of in this you're in this performance atmosphere and people are excited and there's a lot of energy and like your brain gets a response like you're bringing people together like you're doing something that's good for humankind and therefore our brains reward us for things like that yeah make us feel good but there's this there's this up and down with all of that too you know you play the show you feel great and then the show's done i noticed when we first started touring that really hit me hard Mm -hmm. um and i i would find myself getting really down all the time um and i think a lot of it had to do with just the dynamic of playing the show and then the show being done and then repeating that over and over it's like and a hit over. of dopamine yeah, and, then, and then that dopamine kind of just wears mm-hmm. off and it does it yeah. does and i i think it can definitely wear wear you out and um what i've kind of found has helped me help me is just staying healthy like drinking less partying less especially on tour um, yeah we're pretty we're pretty straight laced on on show days now yeah and i think that that helps a lot with just kind of keeping the mental side of things in check yeah, so what else goes into staying healthy on the road, you know? We try to exercise. It doesn't happen all the time. The band will kind of get into it at once. You know, mm-hmm. like one person starts exercising, everyone will do it for a little bit, and then it kind of stops. But um, eating healthy, like trying yeah. to avoid fast food, const- like that's probably one of the biggest things. It's doing tough too, I'm sure. It is. It yeah. is tough. Um, I really kind of like 
stuck to it this last year. Uh, I started doing like intermittent fasting, kind of just out of nowhere. Yeah. And um, I've I've maintained that for probably eight or nine months now, and mm-hmm. that's been like so helpful. Oh yeah. Um, to, and just for life in general. Yeah, I'm a huge proponent of of uh, intermittent fasting. Yeah. Do you do it? Oh yeah, I've been doing it for like over a year and that's, a half. It's it's amazing, right? Yeah. How'd you get started with it? Um certain youtube personalities that i follow and like tim ferris yeah um and uh, like some other people i probably don't even follow now that i was following um but yeah i mean it was a game changer for me yeah and i think like in an environment like on the road um just the schedule of eating probably helps too totally like eating at all different times of the night you know it's like Mm -hmm. three in the morning and you finally pack up your show you're not like thinking about a large pizza yeah it really changes like it changes your eating patterns. I've always kind of just felt like I was just addicted to food. Like there's mm-hmm. no hope for me ever trying to be successful with a diet. And uh, I just kind of eat whatever as much as I want all the time. One time I got home from tour and I was on these, I was on like a recording binge. So sometimes at home I'll just like, I'll just dive in deep and I like won't leave that room for a 24 hours. I'll like just drink water. And I hadn't eaten for a day. And I was like, huh, usually like, so I was like, hypoglycemic or whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. stupid word that is so yeah. in my head i was like i need to eat all the time um or else i get grumpy you know like get this bitch a cracker or something like i'm feeling bad snickers yeah or something yeah. and uh but i didn't eat all day and realized like hey i actually don't feel that bad like maybe i'll just like keep this up and i i had something to eat and then just kind of waited until late in the day like noon before i had a meal and just stuck with it and now it's it's really weird because at night I just like don't really get hungry anymore. If I do get like a craving or whatever, I just like chug some water. But I feel like that doesn't even happen anymore. It's mm-hmm. kind of it's it's dissipated. You learn to really like tune into when your body wants to be nourished. Yeah, like am I actually hungry right yeah, now? Yeah, and just drinking a lot of water is also important. But that kind of like fed over into just like eating healthy because for that eight hour period, I'd I'd still at least in the beginning would just kind of eat whatever. But um, I've kind of reduced it to like one like big healthy meal a day and mm-hmm. then just some smaller maybe like one or two small meals throughout the day and i love it man i feel a lot better yeah i'm down like six pant sizes or something oh wow Congrats. i got big i got big for a while i was a i was a big boy and accepting of it you know it's like ah, i'm just you know dad bods are in style like yeah. i can i can be a chubby guy you're looking great by the way man thank you, I thank feel, you. yeah you definitely lost yeah lost a some few pound. pant sizes yeah, as well. yeah 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 um it feels good though. It does. Just, you know, it does. It's more than just the look thing. It's, it really feels good to totally. be healthier. And uh, it's good. On, aside from like dieting and all of that, <clears throat> um, you seem like a pretty spiritual guy. And I don't think we've ever really talked about this, but mm-hmm. what, what is your spirituality? So I originally, I grew up in like a super religious family. Um, my mom's Orthodox Christian, but we went to like, I mean, went to the Orthodox Church a little bit, but mainly like Methodist. Mm-hmm. sort of upbringing my mom was just always she was always hardcore about it which you know god bless um and i was too especially growing up um i can't say i was like a perfect child or anything but mm-hmm. i was definitely very very interested in religion to a point where i was like you know there were times in my life like it's like i could have been a pastor or something yeah of course went to college i took all those like philosophy theology and uh and then had like the poetry courses to kind of express all that and just totally fell away from all of it and um, in the first record, that's really kind of where I, I wrote about a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I just kind of fell away from it and have always been, I've been really quite comfortable with it. Um, I just read, I just read 
uh, every year I do a, a read through of, of Marcus Aurelius. Like I, re- I really like stoicism. Mm-hmm. I've kind of held on to that over the years. Um, what draws you to that? Um, it kind of, it kind of asks you to just sort of accept reality as it is and to identify the things that you have control over and the things that you don't have control over and, and, you know, your opinions and your reactions to, to outcomes is a, is a, especially outcomes you don't have control over. Now it's important. They can be big contributors to our own suffering. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so you don't practice any, you know, like do you, do you meditate? I, I want to, I do not meditate. Um, I, uh, I have a lot of friends that do. I think mm-hmm. I've been, I think I've been pretty resistant to it over the years. I did it when I was younger a little bit, but I don't, I don't know if I was actually like getting anywhere with it. It was at a, I was at band camp once and I had a, I think it was a little later in high school and I, one of the counselors got us all to meditate every night. And I did it for, I did it for maybe like the first year or two in college. Um, and I enjoyed it. I just, you know, I just never, I never kept with it. You meditate, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, uh, Definitely an important part of my life. Like, um, what what do you like? What are the benefit? Like, what are the benefits for you? Like, what changed in your life? It's hard to like put a finger on specific, yeah, you know, yeah. benefits, but it's like an overall feeling of just contentment. And if you <clears throat> if you add any of the philosophy into it, and you know, you kind of embark on learning some of what like the mindfulness mindfulness philosophy goes along with the actual meditation practice. Mm-hmm. It's very similar to. A lot of you know learning what we don't control or what we don't have control over. Absolutely, um, a lot on impermanence and uh, you know what exists will eventually not exist, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of that really clicks. I mean, I, I don't see how it couldn't for for humans. You know, um, we're constantly losing things, you know, and we're so attached to them, mm-hmm. and uh, that clingingness is like such a, a com- complete setup for for our own misery. You know, and so the more we can just learn to let go um, without attachment, you know, I feel like the the better we are to set ourselves up to have a more balanced life. Absolutely, man. I'm a, I'm a big fan of impermanence too. Yeah, it's something that's kind of worked its its way into a lot of my a lot of my songs. Um, yeah, everything has a beginning and every everything has an end, mm-hmm. and um, I think just that that brevity of of life in general gives a lot of value to the the time that we actually have. Yeah. I was like, wonder what I would do if I just had unlimited time. And what would you do human, if you had unlimited time? I honestly would probably just play video games all day. If I knew I was never going to die, I'm going to be like, I'm going to get so good at whatever this game is yeah. I'm playing. Although I will say like in the future, you know, the games are probably going to be pretty dope. So I imagine someone would come to you and just be like, yo, you got to check out this new game and this is in the the immortal world it's, mm-hmm. like, it's called oregon trail you play as immortal <laughs> i just died of dysentery like put on the vr headset check this check this out but um <laughs> you lost your cattle yeah, yeah yeah right but uh i don't know you could you could argue that you could argue the the apathy point there with like looking at the elves from tolkien you know they're immortal but they were the technological and philosophical leaders of their time. I just don't know if humans are up to the task of immortality. No, no, I, I don't see that. I think we'd really f- fuck up the world if we had unlimited time. There'd be no value to life. I, I think uh, it's the act of passing through 
from a, the beginning to the end that is living. Oh yeah, so. I like that. And and how quick that is is like in in the whole timeline of things. I mean, we're just a tiny blip on the map of of creation. Absolutely. And uh, it's both exhilarating, intimidating, you know, and all of the above. And it gives you reason to work every day towards the things that you believe in, and you know, just try to be the best person that you can while you have on this very short time frame. Mm-hmm. During this very short time frame, so that's some good stuff right there. Thank you. Um, we, you were talking about reading. Do you do you read a lot? Yeah, I love books. Okay. Um, since getting home from tour recently, I haven't been reading a lot. I just I just went through Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Are you, do you do you like? Do you guys know who he is? I know he's like yeah. the great philosopher king. Yeah, of course. You should read that book. It's amazing because it's just this wonderful snapshot into like arguably the greatest leader of all time, a guy who had unlimited access to like all of the worldly pleasures yet still remained this, this just like moral foundation for a nation that was extremely prosperous and had lots and lots of pleasures all around them. He was really a wonderful guy, but yeah, meditations. I I try to do a read through of every year. Um, I'm like halfway through um, Tony Morrison's Beloved, so I'm trying to finish that right now. But I try to do like a book a month, mm-hmm. it, give or take. Anything stand out from like the last year of reading? Um, gosh, what um, stuff I really liked from the last year. The Count of Monte Cristo I read two tours ago, and I it's so good. Mm-hmm. Have you guys read Count of Monte Cristo? In I have whatever. Oh man, it's amazing. And I guess it's sort of pertinent to what we're talking about too, with just general happiness. Um, there's like a wonderful section when the Count of Monte Cristo, his name's uh, Edmond Dantes. He's, he kind of disappears, but sends a letter to um, the kind of the younger guy who he's mentoring. It's like the last couple paragraphs of the book. And he kind of makes this wonderful statement about, um, happiness and unhappiness not actually existing it's more of a comparison Mm -hmm. of two states like when you compare yourself to someone else's life like that that there's a lot of unhappiness that can be derived like if you just kind of if you get rid of that comparison you can find a lot of joy Mm -hmm. i don't know that makes sense i'm I'm doing a probably a bad job at (laughs) i I think that hits the nail on the head i I don't know the book i have it in here let me i'll read it it's it's definitely part of the mindful mindfulness philosophy yeah yeah and you know you can compare too um but if if you're doing it with joy i feel like it's a lot different than doing it with you know uh this person has that and if they didn't have that i would have it yeah yeah because that's just not the way the world works you know so you read a lot. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. It's, um, it's where I get a lot of, I mean, even just for the songs, uh, a lot of them just start with books. And I, I, when I was in college, I was just spitting out material. Like, and it was because I was constantly being stimulated with just new ideas and lots of people around me all the time. And it was just an exciting time. And when I graduated that kind of, I feel like the, the amount of music I was putting out became greatly stifled until I started reading. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, songs kind of come from um, experience and they come from emotion. And you can get those experiences. You can get this wonderful snapshot into, like, a character and uh, get this. And sometimes, like, an, an entire life story, like, right mm-hmm. there, one that you can never, you know, maybe never live. And uh, it's from those experiences that 
make songs, you know? So you think re uh, reading and writing kind of go hand in hand for you? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And um, do you write outside of songwriting? I do. Uh, I got this journal. Yeah. This is like my most prized possession. Um, yeah, I, I, feel, I feel you, bro. Dude, it's such a good thing to yeah, have. Yeah. It's such a good thing. I, I, this, I've been doing it for a long time now, but this one's probably like two or three years old. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it's just notes on books or just, I just keep it in my backpack whenever, whenever stuff comes up by... I'll uh I'll jot stuff down. I not you know a lot of times you just have your phone though, so I'll write stuff in the phone, and then every now and then I'll just go transcribe through it. and transcribe everything and yeah. it gets it back into your head. Yeah. So well, I, my I'll uh, type up like an email draft for what I would want to like journal, mm -hmm. and then uh, I'll just keep that running. And so like the next time I don't have my journal near and I want to notate something, I just go back to that email draft. Yeah, yeah. And eventually I just print that out and I just like put it in here. Oh hell yeah. Yeah. Like in the back of the journal. That one's looking good, dude. It's, yeah, it's, it's it's like a year old, and it took a year to like go cover to cover on it, which is pretty nice, cool. Nice. Yeah, it's it's like just got like the right level of worn in. Yeah, there's still like more wear and tear to go. Yeah, yeah. And it's a good size for sure, and it's got your initials on it. Yeah, I, I like that touch. Um, how about tell us about the beautiful monster? Oh man, yeah, that was uh, gosh. Let me let me think about that. Oh, I should have. There was a time when I I could explain that that whole thing perfectly and, and what it all meant. Um, it was definitely like, uh, I was in a Buddhism class at the time mm -hmm. and, uh, it was, yeah, it was just a Zen Buddhism class. I'm trying to think exactly how it ties into the book and how I could explain it, but I wrote it for a class. It was, a, I took some, uh, children's literature classes. So um, it's a children's book. Yeah. It was yeah, a children's yeah. book. I got TJ to, to narrate it. Cool. Um, but yeah, it was just one of those little projects in, in class. They, she gave us a couple different options. I can't remember what the other ones were, but one of them was like write a storybook. And I was like the only one who did it, and I got super into it. Gen mm -hmm. Generally like college projects, I could just dive dive headfirst and, and totally lose myself in it. And that was one of them. And um, Koan Sound. It has something to do with Koan Sound. I was really into that the topic. Band? No, no, like okay. or the sound of a koan. Oh, I can't okay. remember what it I, – I don't know how it all ties in now. I'd have to go back. And look at it. I can probably. So did the book get published? No, no, no. I never tried. It okay. was just, it was just a, like a fun little project, and um, it it was completed around the time that Terra Incognita came out. And uh, someone brought up like, hey, we should like print some copies of this book and, mm -hmm. and include it as like a collector's edition or whatever. And uh, yeah, we actually sold it at the merch table for a while, and uh, I still have a couple copies of it. But it was just like one of those like. Again, sort of like innocent little projects with no expectations that just came out really nicely. I have kind of forgotten about it until you just brought it up. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to go back and read it. But yeah, I, I would like to It was super fun well. to make, man. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I, kind of on the same topic of just projects, what are some chances that you took on art? Chances that I took on art? I mean, the thing... So uh, I, I've only been full-time with music for uh, like a year and a half. Um, probably like three years ago. I was the first time I like quit a job, quit my teaching job to mm -hmm. pursue that. And it was definitely, I mean, that was a, a huge risk at the time and uh, we were not ready for it. You know, we all, a bunch of us did it and it was like, we went out on tour and it was tons of fun. And then we came back from tour and it was like, oh crap, you know, yeah. where's the money? You know, yeah, we yeah. have no money. Help. It's another four months before we leave and I'm broke. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that was, that was spooky. It was right when Tara came out and it was like, whoa, we are, we are not ready for this. Um, but just, just persist, you know, having been doing it this whole time has 
been a giant gamble. And, you know, we finally reached a point where we can like support ourselves with it. And you're talking to me at a time where like things are pretty stable, you know, but yeah, yeah. you never know when it can just get totally flipped on its head or when this a big curveball can get thrown in. We were fortunate to have like this last year was our best year mm -hmm. and uh you know spirits are high we have a new record coming out and um tell us about the new record really excited about it it's definitely my my favorite one thus far it was very challenging putting it together it was the first time we didn't totally self-produce something so we wanted to go we wanted to just go somewhere else like a, a professional studio and record it mm -hmm. outside of our you know our own studio excuse me um so yeah we recorded it in omaha actually um, this guy called me one day, his name was Rick Carson, owns a studio in Omaha. He's actually from Clarkston and that's how he had like heard mm -hmm. of the band. Like one of his friends was like, Hey, this band's from Michigan. You should check him out. Um, super nice guy. We just kind of struck a friendship and, um, maybe like five to six months later, we ended up talking about like, Hey, you know, we're kind of ready to record a new record. Like, can we check out the studio and stuff? And we just really liked him. The studio is gorgeous. Mm -hmm. He kind of hangs in, like, the neo-soul and, like, jazz scene. Um, and is just, like, a really knowledgeable, interesting guy. He's sort of, like, like a kind of genius dude in a lot of ways. And, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, we just liked it. But, we, you know, we got there, and it was the first time we didn't have, like, full... We had full control over everything. But um, it just, like, it wasn't in our home studio. Mm -hmm. And we were... It was the first time we were, like, oh, we're on sort of a time crunch like we have five days here to record a couple songs like do we have all this stuff together and ready to go and um their process there is to not mix things along the way i've always been you know i just mix as Live i mixing. go and like i know what i want to do as far as mixing so it's like we're recording all these tracks and really just spitting as much stuff out there as we possibly could and the whole time i'm just like man i wish i could just like level these things because it sounded like all together just like crap i'm like mm -hmm. oh my god what are we doing like did i make the wrong decision because it was like my just not mine alone but like i was pushing to go to this place to record yeah and uh you know we went back we finished all the songs i was always just a little unsure of like oh god is this the end of the band did i totally screw up <laughs> i was dealing with that the whole time and uh sorry rick i know you're gonna listen to this i love you though um we went back to mix it though with Rick, our our producer, and it just it just came together. Like mm -hmm. when he actually touched it and did, he's more of a, like a mixing engineer. But when he went back and and started really putting work into the tracks, it just it just came to life. And uh, we we went there about a week and a half, two weeks ago to just finish up the details. And like, hell yeah, this turned out so good. And uh, just feel really like I feel really happy about a lot of the songs. And there's a bunch of songs on there that just came out like especially lyrically, like how mm -hmm. I said what I wanted to say and I'm really proud of that. And, um, I have that like inner tingling of like just desperately wanting to share this with people. Um, nice. and yeah, I hope they like it. I, I do think people will, will connect with this record. Um, let's unpack a little bit about, uh, you know, what went into the recording and mm -hmm. how, how it kind of took you out of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. We talked a lot about how your studio and, yeah. and, and the home plays a lot into the project in, in general. So, you know, picking up and traveling out of state, being under a time crunch, having someone else's opinion mm -hmm. um, play into the project. Um, what about being outside of your comfort zone 
were, you know, what, what kind of positives did you draw from it? What kind of negatives did you draw from it? Like the creative process there. Um, what advice would you give to someone else who's going through that right now? I think just be, you know, be patient with it. You know, certainly trust yourself in, in your own musical. It just, you, you want to, you, you want to trust yourself. In the case of the band, you know, we, I think we can trust ourselves as, as a band and like that will ultimately come to the, you know, we'll come to whatever is the best for the song, hopefully. Mm-hmm. You know, again, we always kind of just do this sort of democratic way of like making compositional decisions when there's conflicting ideas. Um, I just say, you know, be patient. Like in our case, like I knew who we were working with was good. Mm-hmm. He's done a lot of good work for other people and I wasn't used to their workflow and I just kind of needed to trust in that. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think it worked out, but you know, I don't you certainly don't want to tell people like, Oh, you should just totally put all the trust in the hands of your producer. Well, I guess you the know? reason why I, <laughs> yeah. I, f- I feel like sometimes, um, you know, obviously when we're in the helm of our comfort, you know, our nest, you know, rather, uh, it, it can feel a little bit more accessible to tap into like the creative mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but then also I feel sometimes when you're under pressure or you're, you're uh, yeah. leading into your, you know, the, the uncomfortable areas, it can almost even pinch out something even different. I think so. For some reason with me, like I'm good under pressure if I, if I'm feeling I, music always has been this like thing that I, where I sort of channel frustrations. And even if it's like a situation where like, Oh God, I got to finish this recording or Mm -hmm. do whatever. Like I have left, left this up until the last hour to send out these vocal bounces. Like for some reason, like I'll get good takes. It's always kind of been that way. And I like, I like to rely on that, but, um, I think the, and you know, once we got there though, too, it was, it was still really fun recording Mm -hmm. there. Like the dudes that come in are all really interesting. There's just like the, the low, it's Omaha. It's almost like this like big Lansing. You know, there's a lot of people who are like really committed to the city Mm -hmm. and, uh, really kind of, you know, proud to be there, but also, you know, they just, I don't know. Smaller town. Yeah. It's got like a small town vibe with the proud people inhabiting it. And, uh, it was still really fun. Um, I don't, I don't think like the stresses of it necessarily hindered. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not sure. Do you think they gave you an advantage? I guess at any point, aside from Omaha, do you think creatively being under stress has ever given you an advantage rather than a hindrance? I I know that I perform pretty well under stress. Not all the, I mean, there's been times where I've just like totally, totally flubbed and, and, and fallen off because I was nervous or whatever. and uh, What do you but, do then? Oh, God, you just keep going. Yeah. I had a rough show on New Year's Eve. We had our big uh, we had our big um, New Year's Eve, like, 90s party in Kalamazoo. I mean, I, it was probably totally fine, but I kept forgetting lyrics. I got nervous. Mm-hmm. It just, like, hit me super hard right before I, I spent, I probably spent over 100 hours, like, learning lyrics, mostly over Christmas, which was not exactly what I wanted to be doing over a Christmas break. Um but yeah, just right before the show, it's like the nerves hit me. And usually if I get the nerves, it's like, it's, c- it's cool, bro. You mm-hmm. crush it. Like, it's good you're feeling the nerves. You need to feel the nerves more mm-hmm. in this whole process. But for some reason on New Year's Eve, I just like, the nerves hit me and then I forgot lyric after lyric after lyric. I mean, we recovered, got back on the train and kept going. But um, 
I'm sure every artist listening can totally relate to that. Yeah, though, you know, sometimes. there's always been a minute, and not even just artists, but even like myself in, in a lot of the business aspects of, of work. I I feel <clears> like sometimes I stumble, and then you know, it's how do you compose yourself after that? I feel is, is yeah. what's most important. It, with performance, you just gotta like, you gotta keep smiling. You know, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, like you are an entertainer, and like people paid money to come see you play, and you need to like keep trying your best to entertain them. And if you're feeling frustrated to not let that out and just mm-hmm. be professional about the whole thing but internally you can be boiling like oh no i'm i'm doing a terrible job my band probably hates me they're probably super mad but uh you just got to keep doing your best and smile smile through it and a lot of times if you just kind of keep giving that energy out the that comfort of knowing what the hell you're doing comes back you get back on the rails and and just keep going yeah it's important so we talked about the new album coming out. Mm-hmm. Is there a name for that? Yeah, it's called Paper Castle. We haven't like announced it formally yet, but yeah, okay. it's going to be called Paper Castle. So Paper Castle's in the near future. What else is coming up for the Rainbow Seekers? Um, just a, a lot of touring. We're going we're gonna to do a, like a big headlining tour. Because this last year was like 70 or 80% support tours, mm-hmm. um, mostly in the jam scene, which was, which was amazing. Like that whole fan base is, is really, really warm and inviting mm-hmm. um, and receptive. So, uh, you know, we've spent a lot of work doing support stuff. We have a new record on the way. We signed a new record deal um, that specifically tar- targets uh, distribution through streaming platforms and so like uh, commercials and, and no more for for like playlists oh honestly. cool it's like a very playlist centric cool. label um, with some really experienced people behind the wheel um, and uh, yeah we feel really good great we feel really good about this year and um, like I said I'm just super excited above all else to to get to share these songs with people because they they mean a lot to me and you know I create this stuff from a, I guess, from a place that wants to communicate certain things. So that's what I'm really looking forward to. And uh, of course, you know, getting, we've been, we've been back home for a few weeks now and it's like, all right, you know, I could do some more touring. Yeah. I'm ready. I'm ready. To, do you have I'm a slew of festivals hang. this summer that you're playing? Yeah, we're, uh, we have a lot of smaller ones. We got, we got Forest and we got uh, the Peach. Those are like the big ones cool. that we got on. And yeah. I mean, we got them this, usually we, I'm more a small band. Like it's usually much later in the season that we like start getting festival bookings. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, we got them early this year, which was, which was really nice. And uh, we feel Exciting. good about it. So. So keep your ears open for music. Keep your eyes open for tour schedules. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'll, see we'll, Joe be, we'll be around quite a bit this year. So come come out to a show. That's exciting. Joe, thank you so much for yeah, taking some time you, to come out here. I appreciate it, man. Of course, man. And until next time. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning in. And thanks to our sponsor, Great Lakes Coffee Roasting Company, for keeping us super caffeinated in the studio here. And just a reminder to our listeners, coffee lovers, you can use code WELLBEING at checkout at greatlakescoffee.com for 10% off your first order of coffee, coffee supplies, and much more.